0: This is Democracy on the Move. (music) Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, September 18, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's short podcast, I'll talk about what some call the War on History. But first, a message from the League of Women Voters. You know, I found a great resource online from the League of Women Voters. It's called Vote411.org. Check it out. They have a wealth of nonpartisan information about the candidates and issues that you will see on your ballot this November. Again, that address is Vote411.org. And speaking of voting, it's an unfortunate fact of politics in this country that money injects corruption into our government. If you're as concerned about it as I am, then join Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. The amendment states simply, Corporations are not people. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. In this short podcast, I'll talk about the war on history. Yes, it's yet another war, like the war on drugs or the war on education, Or the war on Christmas. You ever notice how everything is called a war these days? It's almost as if people are addicted to fighting. I mean, there's never a peaceful movement toward the resolution of our differences. It's always a war where one must win and the other must lose. The war on history seeks to redefine history and force it into the public square. I mean, if this war is going to be won, all our American history books will have to be rewritten. And millions of people will have to be reeducated. Maybe they'll be sent to re-education camps where they'll be forced to accept new facts as self-evident. Okay, that's maybe an exaggeration on my part, but I don't think it's entirely outside the realm of possibilities. We've seen it happen in other countries, and we'd be foolish to think it can't happen here. Now, leading the charge in this war on history is none other than Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. Well, no surprises there. He's been at the forefront of a lot of challenges to our cultural norms, The war he refers to is the war between the people who believe that our nation is a product of the Christian Bible and those that don't. I first became aware of this newly declared war when I followed a link on Senator Hawley's Twitter feed a couple days ago. The link led to a transcription of a speech he gave last week to the National Conservative Conference. Apparently he's spoken to this conference on previous occasions and discussed topics such as the radical left's goal of unmaking American culture and community. Last year, at the same conference, he spoke about the radical left's goal of unmaking manhood. The senator talked about the emasculation of men, figuratively speaking. Apparently, the senator is a big fan of patriarchy and doesn't like women or gays or anyone not cisgender men moving in on his territory. But you gotta admit... That famous video of him running away from the insurrectionists on January 6th didn't exactly look manly. I mean, with that famous raised fist of his, he helped put the insurrection in motion. So the fact that he ran away when the shit got real kind of makes him look like a coward. So his title of this year's talk was, The Left's War on History is Really a War on the God of the Bible. Now, the fact that most people refuse to believe in a twisted sense of history that puts the Holy Bible at the center of our nation's founding is, in Senator Hawley's view, a denial worthy of being called a war. There are two sentences at the beginning of the transcript that sum it all up very nicely. Quote, America as we know it is the product of the revolution of the Bible, but now that biblical inheritance is under siege. So, having thrown down the gauntlet and declaring war, Senator Hawley proceeded to prove his point, or at least attempt to prove his point. Over the course of his speech, which takes up ten pages of transcription, he proceeds to defend his argument, that is, that America is a product of the Holy Bible. He gets right to it within the first few paragraphs where he makes the leap, that is, he ties the Bible to the Constitution, He does so by way of extracting a portion of John F. Kennedy's inaugural address in 1961, where he said that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. And then the senator asks an open-ended question. Where did Kennedy get this idea of the rights of man coming from God? Of course, he immediately ties it directly to the Bible. He quickly and deftly answers his own question, saying, The answer is clear if often and deliberately overlooked in our day, that idea came from the Bible. He goes on to say, quote, We are a revolutionary nation precisely because we are the heirs of the revolution of the Bible. Now, did you notice that rhetorical trick that he used? Personally, my bullshit detector screams at me when I see someone ask a question and then answer it right away. The problem is that they introduce you to a mystery and then solve it right there on the spot. It not only makes them look like a genius— But it prevents you from pondering the question yourself. It steals your right to find your own answer. It hijacks your own individuality. Like I said, it's a rhetorical trick, and it depends on an argumentative fallacy. It's called the loaded question. It's what happens when you set up a question in such a way as to get the answer that you want. But consider that there are many answers to the question of where a man gets his rights. If you'll pardon the male pronoun here, I speak for all mankind. You could, for example, look to the Quran, which states that all humans are the descendants of one man, Adam, and are therefore equal to one another. The emphasis on equality and justice appears throughout the Quran and even extends to your enemies. It even extends to people of other religious beliefs. So, you could say that the concept that President Kennedy referred to, that the rights of man are from the hand of God, could just as easily say that the rights of man are from the hand of Allah. And if you dig into any religious text, you'll see similar passages. They all advocate for the rights of man, the rights of the individual, and the limitations of government, particularly when it comes to individual rights. So let's get back to Senator Hawley's war. His overarching grievance was that America has forgotten about its biblical roots as it casts aside obedience to the Bible. And this apparently is responsible for the breakdown of modern society. And that word obedience figures strongly in his speech. We must remain obedient to the word of the Bible. This actually is a necessary part of self-rule, the senator says. He goes on to say that earthly rule by kings or any form of government has its limitations. He cites Jesus' words to, quote, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. In Hawley's view, this has profound political implications. You owe your taxes to the government, but you owe your soul to God. Now, allow me to step back, if you will. I personally don't see a problem with that statement. I mean, if you want to devote yourself to whatever god you worship, a king or a government should not stand in your way. This would seem a perfect place to establish that church and state are independent. One does not interfere with the other. This concept of the separation of church and state was embraced by our forefathers. As proof, have a look at the Constitution. There are no references to God or the Bible. As a nation, our very first war after the Revolutionary War was with Tripoli, which is now Libya. And in the treaty signed afterwards, it made it clear that our grievance with that nation had nothing to do with religion. On the contrary, it stated in plain English, right there in Article 11 of the treaty, that our government was not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. Many of our founders, including John Adams and the entire Senate at the time, signed this treaty. Yes, there were some senators uncomfortable with it, but the words are out there for all to see. So, given these strong arguments in favor of the separation of church and state, Senator Hawley's challenge in this speech was to thread that needle and somehow stitch the two together, that is to say, exactly the opposite, that there is no separation of church and state. And sure enough, he did it, about halfway into a speech where he said, quote, But if God's spirit can be poured out on all people, if God has called each person to be his delegate and exercise his authority, surely that has political implications. Well, of course it does, Senator, because we all see through what you're trying to do. You are chasing power, the power that you say belongs to God, but you want it for yourself. If church and state are not separated, you, Senator, can step into the breach and declare yourself a spokesperson for both church and state and thereby enjoy the fruits of power. Essentially, you rob God of that power. Perhaps you believe that ultimate power is bestowed upon any man that proclaims to have God on his side, but really, that power belongs to God, not any man. Nevertheless, this is the game that the senator has chosen to play, and we, ordinary citizens, identify this power play as Christian nationalism. It is the attempt by people who call themselves Christians to take on the reins of political power on a national scale. Now, having made his case for the pursuit of power that belongs to God, Senator Hawley transitions to discuss what he calls a cultural revolution. He starts off that part of the speech by saying, quote, Today's woke left is frantically engaged in a campaign of political nihilism. Now, the word nihilism refers to the rejection of all religious and moral principles and the belief that life is meaningless. So, immediately you see where Senator Hawley is heading. Those that don't believe as he does are morally deficient. This effectively demonizes the enemy. Now, don't be fooled. This is a technique not of any religion, no. Instead, it is a technique of fascism. He adds several more lengthy passages to give his central argument a real one-two punch. He accuses that the radical woke left attacks family structure, schools, churches, and our judicial system. He goes on to allege that the radical woke left embraces Marxism. He tells his audience that the woke left dislikes the notion of the common man, that the woke left really doesn't believe in equality, that the woke left pokes fun at people who cling to guns and religion. He even cites that the radical woke left refuses to pursue legal charges against Hunter Biden for the contents on a laptop he apparently left behind at a computer repair shop. And of course, he just couldn't leave Anthony Fauci alone, accusing the radical woke left of shielding Fauci from public scrutiny. He goes on to talk about actions that the nihilist left perpetuate, such as raiding former President Trump's resort, attacking parents as they inquire about their children's education, attacking Christianity itself. Two full pages of the transcript are filled with these accusations. Effectively, the senator is making a call to arms. First, he vilifies the woke left, and then he enumerates how this enemy is actively attacking Christians and Christian nationalism. For good measure, yet another page enumerates how the Christian nationalists are victims. They are being attacked again and again by a rabid, demonic, unrelenting enemy. Again, this is a well-known and tested technique of fascism. People will respond with violence if they feel they are being attacked, and Senator Hawley is telling them exactly that, that they are being attacked. Honestly, folks, the way I read this speech, the senator is making a call to arms. Because most people refuse to believe that Christianity is the basis of our government, the senator unashamedly window-dresses it as a war on history. His version of history, not ours. Make no mistake, his true motive is a pursuit of power. It's the power he claims belongs to God, but he wants it for himself. He remains unapologetic for stoking an insurrection, and he continues to work toward fomenting a hot war in which religious extremism is poised to take over our nation. Perhaps he would be wise to listen to the rest of President Kennedy's inaugural address in which he said, quote, Those who foolishly sought power by riding the back of the tiger ended up inside. As a personal note, please understand that I haven't thrown in my lot with the Democrats. As far as I'm concerned, both the Democrats and Republicans have become tools of an increasingly powerful oligarchy. They answer to corporations, not people. But in my view, Senator Hawley has taken this system to an entirely different level. By declaring a sort of Christian jihad and advocating for violence, he proposes wiping out whatever thin modicum of democracy we have remaining in this country. If we are to become an incarnation of The Handmaid's Tale, democracy will have died, and along with it, our freedoms and our rights. By the way, if you listen to the podcast released on March 27th of this year, 2022, I talked about Josh Hawley's original intent long before he entered the political arena. He penned an article called A Christian Vision for Kingdom Politics, Immunitize the Eschaton. And the article clearly lays out a plan and justification for for bringing forth God's vision for a political structure here on Earth. With his actions on January 6th, where he provided aid and comfort to insurrectionists, it's plainly obvious that this senator is still on track to deliver on his original plan. Should we, ordinary citizens, ignore this man, he will have his way, and our Constitution, the fabric that holds our nation together, will be burned at the stake. Well, that's it for this week's short podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any feedback or comments, please feel free to DM us on our Twitter feed at allonthemove. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.